night. I keep wanting to say good morning, Mercy Road, because I'm so accustomed to being here in the morning. Aren't you guys? It kind of feels a little bit strange. But happy Saturday night of Easter weekend. Come on, how are we doing? Yeah? Awesome. Well, if I haven't got a chance to meet you, my name is Davey. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. And uh, can we do this? We have a lot of people who are also watching online through the power of the internet. Can we welcome them? Come on, thank you so much for watching online. And... Um, Man, I'm really excited. This weekend has already been an incredible one. Last night, we had a Good Friday service. Pastor Rashad brought the house down with that. It was unbelievable. And then, you know, you're here joining us tonight. We also have services tomorrow morning as well. And so just really excited for what God is doing. And Easter weekend gets me fired up because at the end of the day, what we're ultimately celebrating is the resurrection of Jesus and what that means for us, the implications for us, and that means that whatever situation we may be going through, if you are a believer, you have the same spirit living in you that raised Jesus from the dead. And so you can, if you get nothing else in here tonight, I need you to understand that whatever the outcome of your life may seem right now, you can, by the power of Jesus, overcome your outcome. Come on, isn't that good news in here? Isn't that good news in here? That's what we're celebrating. All right, so that means I got to preach for 30 minutes to convince you that it's good news in here because I didn't get a very good response with that. Um, how many of you guys have uh, ever been in a situation where you felt disappointed by the outcome of something? Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, in fact, I remember the, big, the, the first big disappointment that I ever had. I had some little small minor disappointments growing up. But the first big disappointment was when I got married uh, in, in my first marriage uh, to my late wife, 22 years old. And I, I, I'm a planner. I don't know about you, but I'm a, I'm a big planner. And uh, the, the men, when we, especially getting married at a young age, went to Christian school, you know, and so I was looking forward to getting out, graduating, and getting married. And some people go to Christian schools to get the... Um, <clears throat> the MRS degree, if you know what I'm talking about, right? And so, you know, it's this big deal where, you know, ring by spring kind of idea. So a lot of times, get it? Okay, if you, you didn't go to a Christian school, you probably might be better for it. Okay, anyways. So we're like excited about getting married. We're excited, but there's this huge, you know, and so she spent all this time planning the wedding. I've spent all this time, because what, girls plan the wedding, guys plan the what? Honeymoon, of course, you know, so I'm planning all this time spent, you know, planning the, planning the honeymoon, and I've got this all, you know, planned to a T. It's dialed in. Uh, we got married in Elkhart, Indiana, and then we drove two hours to Chicago, and uh, we were going to spend a full day just visiting the city of Chicago. We went to a Cubs game that day, and then we were going to fly out for Mexico the very next day. Well, after our day of going around Chicago, we go to bed that night, and I'm, uh, I get a phone call. It's an automated message from the airport saying, Remember, your flight leaves tomorrow at, and it told me the time. It said it was like, and I don't remember the exact time. It was probably like 1 o'clock in the afternoon, 2 o'clock. But it told me a time later than I had originally anticipated, than what was on my itinerary that I had planned. So I go, oh, okay. Wow, that's awesome. We can sleep in a little bit, and we can drive to the airport. Cool. So we do, and we start driving to the airport, and we get to the airport. We do the little self-check-in thing, and a memo pops up. It says it's too late to check in. Like, what, what, what are you talking about? It's too late. Like, I planned this out. I, we got here early. I don't know. Wait, too late to check. And, and so they said they need to see an attendant. Well, I don't know if you know anything um, about, like, you know, sometimes it feels like the attendants there, they don't really have a lot of control over what's going on, but they like to fake it. You know what I mean? You ever been that experience? You know? So I go up to the attendant. I'm like, hey, uh, this says that I need, and she, this is what she does. What's your name? And I'm like, it's my that might have been good information before you did all this, right? Like, my name's Davey. You know, we're, like, good, supposed to be flying out. It says that we maybe missed our flight or something. She goes, oh, okay. Yes, you missed your flight. 
I'm like, well, I already knew that from the automated thing that popped up right there. Can you help us at all? Oh, I'm like, she goes, um, there's nothing I can do about it. You know, and I'm like, oh, what? Are you kidding me? So we spent the entire day when we should have been on a beach in Mexico, enjoying everything, right? Enjoying the sun, enjoying the, We spent the entire day at the airport waiting on another flight to come out. In fact, we had to, you know, one of those like, oh, we'll give you this free voucher to stay here tonight, you know, as if it was like a favor to us so you can fly out at the earliest flight tomorrow morning. Yeah, awesome, great. It was a massive disappointment, a massive disappointment. But, but that wasn't the last disappointment of my life. It wasn't the last disappointment of, of our marriage. We had a, a series of, of a lot of disappointments, a lot of disappointing outcomes. Um, we moved to Indianapolis, we planted a church, and it was really difficult to, to, to reach people and to grow the church. And there was a series of disappointments within that. In, in 2015, um, my wife was killed. A tragic, tragic incident. It was a massive disappointment. In 2018, we closed the church down that, that we started. It's a huge disappointment. I'm standing here today telling you that I did not anticipate that outcome. Anybody else been there before? Maybe not to that degree, that's fine, but anybody else been in a place or in a situation or a setting in your life where you didn't anticipate the outcome? Like a disappointment, I mean, this was completely disappointing, and I don't know what that is for you. I don't know if it's the marriage. I don't know if it's... um, the miscarriage, I don't, I, don't know if it's, I don't know if it's the job, I don't know what that is, but we're going to look at a story in scripture where the players of this story have a very disappointing outcome. If, you're, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to John chapter 11, and I don't think there's a more appropriate story to talk through uh, on Easter other than this story right here, um, if we're not going to actually talk about the resurrection of Jesus. John chapter 11, there's a man named Lazarus. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this first thing down that I need us to take, notes, take note about today. And that is one, realization. Realization. John chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha, This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Did you you notice that? Okay, hey, Jesus, um, you've been walking, you've been doing these miracles, we've seen you act, we've seen you move, this, like, there is one of your own, like, the people, one of the people you love, this is like your brother, your brother, essentially, He's sick. And so they send word to him to say, hey, can you come? Because this, this seems like a, a kind of a, a, something we didn't expect. Life just threw us a curveball right here. And the first thing I need us to understand is this. We need to have a realization. Because while this man was sick physically, what we've got to understand is the disappointing outcomes in our story and the disappointing outcomes in this world all have an origin. And that origin is one big concept that we can't move forward with uh, until we actually discuss this and, and, and talk about this. And that's the concept of sin. Sin. It is not very difficult to uh, have a realization of knowing that this world is broken. There's a lot of things in this world that, 
that cause us to, to wonder and question, God, where are you? Are you even here? What's happening? There's a lot of hatred, a lot of violence, a lot of crime. You don't have to look very far to realize that. And all of that is because of sin. The very beginning of time, the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, they swapped the truth of God's word. They, instead of going God's ways, decided to go their own ways. And in that moment, this thing called sin entered into the world and began to break the perfection that God had created this world to be. And it fractured it. And now there's this ever-increasing unraveling of the universe. And that's why there is famine. That's why there is, that's why there is a, a pestilence. That's why, that's why COVID was here. And it ransacked a lot of our lives. It's because of sin. There is a massive origin at play called sin. But that's, that origin is not outside of us purely. It is also inside of us. That sin has affected us and into our, our inner core, our DNA. In fact, from the moment that we were born, we were born into sin, which means we have an inward bent on ourselves. Our own heart is sinful, and we were born that way. If you don't believe me, just babysit a kid for two hours. All right, I have an 18-month-old, okay? And he was not born looking out for my interests. Got it? He's selfish. In fact, just the other day, we're like, his name's Cohen. We're like, hey, Cohen, um, don't touch that. He was reaching for the fireplace, and there was a fire on. He was like, oh, light, pretty, right? It's hot. It will burn you. Cohen, no, Cohen, don't touch that. Don't touch that. He goes to reach for it. He looks back at me. He looks back at the fireplace. He looks back at me and goes, and reaches for it. That is a sinful, sinful kid, okay? Direct disobedience from his daddy, right? Now, I'm not telling that to him to steal his fun or rob his joy. I'm telling that to him to protect him. I know that that's going to harm him, and yet he wants to go his own way. Listen to me. As soon as I grabbed him and I pulled him back, I was like, no, 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 buddy, we're not going to do that. He lost his dang mind, like flopped on the ground, started having this temper tantrum, and I'm like, okay, sin right there. That's, that's sin, because he wants his own way. Now, listen, don't, don't look at me like, yeah, you know, but Davey, I'm a lot more sophisticated than that. Yeah, um, you might be, which means your temper tantrums are a lot more sophisticated, <laughs> okay? When we don't get our own way, we throw temper tantrums, adult temper tantrums, albeit, but temper tantrums, but it, for, it comes out in the form of gossip or slander in, 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 in the deterioration of someone else's character. In selfish decisions that are only looking out for your own interests and not for the interests of other people, we have a natural bent towards self. And listen to me, friends, listen to me. The realization we have to have is that natural bent towards self, the sin inside of us, is a sickness. Maybe not a physical sickness, but a spiritual sickness that is just as, if not more dangerous than any physical sickness that we could contract. This man had a physical sickness, you and I have a spiritual sickness. And if we continue to decide to go our own way in this sickness without Jesus' bloodshed on the cross and believing and receiving what he did for us, if we decide to go our own way, we are essentially, listen, we are essentially walking dead people where everything that we interact with, everything that we touch, because of this sickness called sin, it leads to death. It leads to the death of a, of a relationship because of selfishness. It leads to the death of a career because of pining and striving. The best that you and I can do, friends, the best that you and I can do in our own natural state 
is a long, slow march toward death and destruction. Oh, thanks, Davey, for telling me good news in here. <laughs> That's awesome. I thought this was Easter weekend. We're supposed to talk about some really good news. Well, we can't talk about the good news until we talk about the bad news. The bad news is that because of this sin, it has separated us from God. And we cannot, in our own right, make ourselves better. It doesn't matter how astute you are, how intelligent you are, how, how, how able you are on every other front in life. We cannot fix this sickness called sin in our life. And Lazarus couldn't fix his. And Mary and Martha couldn't fix it either. And so they call for Jesus. It says this, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory that God's son may be glorified through it. This is an unbelievable foreshadowing that should get all of us excited because even, listen, in Christ, even sickness doesn't end in death. Come on, in Christ, even death doesn't result in death. You know what I mean? And so he tells them this, which should give them a lot of assurance it says, now Jesus loved Martha and his sister and, and Lazarus. Again, the writer tells us he loved them. It says, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, look at this, he stayed where he was two more days. Huh? Did you catch that? Jesus loved Lazarus. He's sick. They send word. Oh, because he loved them, he stayed for two more days. What? See, that flies in the face of a lot of what I learned even growing up about Jesus, and that is that if I follow Jesus, um, because he loves me, nothing bad's ever going to happen in my life. Come on, isn't this sometimes what we believe? Or, or this one, God will never put on you more than what you can handle? Man, I'm going to tell you right now, I've only lived for 35 years, but there's definitely been more than what I can handle in my life. I don't know about you. So either that's true and God is a, a deranged God who doesn't really care about me or that whole premise, God will never put on you more than what you can handle, is not true. He loved them and stayed there. Didn't come to their rescue right away. I wonder, why? Why would he not come to their rescue? Well, maybe this story isn't necessarily about rescue. Maybe this story is about resurrection. Come on. Do you know the difference? Maybe one of the greatest acts of love that God can do in our lives, friends, is to allow us to go down that route of our own bent in sin so that we realize we need a Savior. That we realize this route, this road, this place that I'm going is not going to fulfill. And we can get to the very end of it and we can try every single thing that we possibly can muster up or think of or imagine to try to satiate this void inside of our heart. But the reality is this void inside of our heart is a God-sized void that can never be filled with anything other than God. And maybe the greatest act of love is for God to allow these things to take place in our life sometimes or allow us to go our own route in sin so that we realize that. Because if we don't fully realize that, that we need Jesus, 
that we need him to do a massive, unbelievable work inside of us. If we don't fully realize that, then we're going to continue to walk in this sin. And we're going to continue to do our own way. And that sin's going to ultimately destroy us. So he stayed. He stayed? You see, this is, um, leads us to number two. Response. Because when you, um, when you see what Jesus does right here, you can, you, you could, it could cause a few different responses in your heart. It can make you go like, wait a minute. Hold on, what? And there's some very different in this whole spectrum responses happening right here in this story. The first response is this, rejection. But how could, how could a loving God allow this to take place? How could a loving God allow this? Well, because I can't fathom how in the world I'm, I'm just going to completely reject God. And this happens right here. It says this in verse 7. It says, and then he said to his disciples, okay, so after two days, let's go back to Judea. They said, but Rabbi, they said, a, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? You see this? Jesus goes, okay, we're going to go back there. And the, the disciples are like, wait, wait, hold on. The, the place that you're talking about going back to, um, there were people who tried to kill you. They, were, they, didn't, they didn't like you, Jesus, because of the things that you were saying. You were a little bit countercultural to what their uh, normal religious notions were. So, so we're going to go back there? And he's like, yeah. The, re the reality is, is there are so many people, not just in this world, but listen, in this room, who because we can't understand fully what God is doing, we've decided to reject God in his ways. But here's what I love. Jesus tells the disciples, we're going to go through danger. We're going to go through potential suffering to get to Lazarus, to get to the one who's sick. Come on, this is what I love about Jesus more than any other major religion or ideology in this world. Every other major religion or ideology tells you that you have to do some kind of suffering, some kind of penitence, some kind of action to get to that state of peace, right? Whatever it is, you call it. To get to nirvana, to get to God, to get to whatever it is, you've got to take an action. But Christianity says something totally different. Jesus lived something totally different. He said, there is nothing that you can do in your own right to get to God. And so I'm going to subject myself to suffering. I'm going to come and rescue you. I'm going to come and be the savior for you. I'm going to do it on your behalf. Come on. Which is why 2,000 years ago, Jesus went to the cross. Because the only settlement for this thing, this sickness in us, called sin, was bloodshed on the cross. Humanity, us, we had offended a criminal offense to a holy God. And it's, it's not that God wanted to push us out of his presence. 
It's just that God is so big and so vast and so holy and so pure that because of our sin, we could not stand in his presence. And very easily, God's response could have been and should have been rejection. But that's not the God we serve. Come on. The God we serve says, I'm going to step into suffering so that I can save and rescue them from sin. Yo, that's the good news. That Jesus endured rejection so that you and I could have life. But, you know, there's other responses that end up happening. Um, Confusion, doubt. You know, I don't really understand all of this about Jesus. Like, I don't know what I can, you know, this is kind of confusing. Or, 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 or my, my intellect, my reason can't quite surmise or make sense of what is going on right here. And sometimes when we see things happening around us and we try to line it up with what we know about God or believe about God, it can be very confusing. This happens with the disciples. It says uh, that, that they decide that they're going to go back and, and Jesus, Jesus uh, they, they said, hey, we're, you can't. You, you, you're going to go back, and the, the people rejected you. And in verse 9, Jesus said this. This was his response to them. Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. Jesus, what in the world did that have anything to do with the fact that people wanted to stone you? Was anybody else confused by that? I, was majorly, I read that, and I was like, wait, that's your response, Jesus? Nothing like... Uh, no, it'll be fine, guys. They won't be able to stone us. We're, you know, I'll protect us. No big deal. Or we'll go a different route. We'll go around the danger, whatever. No, Jesus is like, yeah, we're just going to walk in the light and stumble in the dark. You're like, what? It's unbelievably confusing. The disciples were confused. It says, after he had said this, he went to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. There he is kind of talking in code again. But I'm going, to, I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. They're like, just let him, just give him a Benadryl. Let him sleep it off. His immune system will kick it. It'll be fine, right? They were completely confused. Finally, Jesus is like, okay, I'm going to make it plain to them. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to them. And then I love this. This is completely unrelated to anything but Thomas who became known as Doubting Thomas later. Uh, it says Thomas, also known as Didymus, which means twin, said to the rest of the disciples, okay, well, let us go so that we may die also. You know, like, <laughs> sure, Jesus. Completely confusing. Can I tell you something? I don't, I don't necessarily understand all this either. Like, all the ways that God works, I wish I could tell you that I understood it completely. Like the pastors, Pastor Rashad, Pastor Josh, we're supposed to be the theologians that kind of bring you the word and help you understand things. Listen, sometimes it's very confusing, but here's what I know. I know that just like Lazarus, I was asleep. I was dead, but now because of Jesus, I'm alive and I was blind, but now I see. And even though I don't quite understand everything that's going on, listen to me, all of this defies reason. The fact that Jesus took someone like me that was bent on my own agenda, on my own path and down a road of destruction. And he saved me and rescued me in spite of me, not because of me, but because he loves me. It doesn't make a lick of sense to me, but I've experienced it. And I wonder this Easter, 
if, if for the very first time you need to experience it. Not like, not like wrap your mind around it or wrap your head around it or wrap your reason around it, but actually experience it. He gets to the, to the place that says on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Coroners say that four days is the moment where a body begins to deteriorate to where the body is beginning to be unrecognizable. Don't miss this. This situation, humanly speaking, was completely beyond repair. There was no way this guy was coming back. There was no way that this situation was going to be reversed. Four days. It says, um, now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus, where were you? You ever felt like that? Where were you? You ever felt abandoned by him? Where were you when, when I lost my job? Where were you when I lost my child? Where were you when I lost my spouse? Where were you when I lost that dream? Where were you when I lost my mental health, my emotional health? Where, where have you been? Imagine Mary and Martha felt abandoned. And I don't know about you, but when I feel abandoned, I tend to look for other things for relief, which is another response that we tend to have when Jesus doesn't show up the way that we thought he would. We look for other things to satiate the, the feelings, to calm them, to get us out of our depression, whether it's alcohol, drugs, prescription medication. We look to find relief. But can I tell you any relief that you can find at the end of that bottle is only temporary relief. You and I don't need relief, friends. We need resurrection. We need a new life. We need a new spirit breathed in us. We need a new heart. We need a new path, a new identity. Jesus comes upon the scene right here and he asks Martha a question. He says, Martha looks at him and says, I, I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. So he's dead in the tomb. He goes, I'm going to resurrect him. Martha answered, watch this. I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Martha gives him the religious answer, which is another response that we tend to have. I, I know, yes, Jesus I know that he will in the resurrection of the last day. When all is said and done, he will have new life. But I don't know if you can actually raise him right now. I don't know if you can change this. I'm having trouble believing that you can actually reverse this situation. You, you been there? Come on, listen. I, I just get the sense as I was preparing for this weekend that there have been, there are so many folks who are sitting in Mercy Road chairs who for years and years and years and years, you have played the religious game. You've gone to church. You've, 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 you've 
put on the posterior of having it all together. You acknowledge, yeah, you know I'm a Christian. But can I ask you something? Have you actually had a transformation? Like, have you, have you experienced resurrection inside of you? Have you, have you? Do you have a new heart? Do you see things differently? Do you approach things differently? Are you, are you moving and operating and living out of this kingdom reality? Or is this just religion? Because, friends, you can white-knuckle religion all you want to, but ultimately what religion leads to is death as well. Just like any other thing that sin manifests itself as religion is almost the most dangerous one. In fact, it's the religious that put Jesus on a cross because they couldn't get their hearts wrapped around who Jesus truly was. And I just wonder if you need to experience something new, something fresh. Martha had the perfect religious answer. And yet, surrounding her circumstance was still death. Which leads us to the very last thing, and I'm gonna invite the band to come up, and that is resurrection. Resurrection. Verse 28, Jesus and Martha have this like inter interaction here, and, and then she goes and gets her sister Mary and it says that Mary, Mary uh, as, as she went to go get her sister Mary, she told her, the teacher is here, and he is asking for you. I think the distinction between teacher is a really, really interesting distinction. It shows us where Martha's heart was, because she believed that Jesus, man, he was demonstrating he was a great teacher, but, but was, he, was he Savior? Was he Lord? And I wonder if, if, if anybody in here can resonate with that, that maybe you feel like, yeah, you know, Jesus, great guy, did some awesome stuff, great teacher even, some great philosophies of life. I really relate with some of those, but can I ask you something? Is he Lord? Like not just, you know, I'm going to line myself up with a couple of these different teachings and then I'm going to mix it with some of these teachings and my life is going to be kind of about these things right here and maybe these right here. Jesus is a part of that and I really appreciate what Jesus has kind of done for, for you know, as far as like the philosophical, uh, you know, culture and ethos of everything. But, it, but, but can I ask you something? Is he Lord? Is your life surrendered to him? Has he raised you Do you have new life? Because Jesus can't be a good teacher. That's it. Now, he is a good teacher, but he can't just be a good teacher. Do you know that? Because he made some really outlandish claims when he walked the earth. Claims like, I am the way, the truth, the life. He didn't say, I am one of the ways. I am one of the truths. I am one of the... No, he said, I am the way. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. I mean, Jesus, you're not a good teacher if, unless that's true. Because good teachers don't lie. He also said things like, I am the son of God. And that it is impossible to have life without me. Is he, is he just a good teacher for you? A good philosophy 
a good way of life? Or is your life submitted to him? Is your life put under and yielded to the resurrection power of Jesus? And that's what Jesus was trying to get to right here. That's what I believe he's trying to get to with us. Because he comes along the scene here. And he says he sees everybody who is there mourning the death of Lazarus. Now four days in the grave. And it says, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave. Look at this. Oh, man, the imagery here. With a stone laid across the entrance. Does that remind you of anything else? (laughs) A cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Can I ask you something? Does it feel like your life, your situation has a stone laid across? That sometimes there are some things that you're like, man, this is beyond repair. This is hopeless. What stone is it that you need to have rolled away? Because the very next instruction he gives them is he says, take away the stone. But Lord, said Martha, I wonder if Jesus is telling you to take away a stone today. To take away a stone of um, your response of relief, your response of maybe reason, your disbelief, maybe your response of rejection. Maybe that's the stone that needs to be rolled away. And your heart right now is going, but Lord, hold on, but Lord. I love Martha's response. She says, but Lord, by this time, there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. The King James Version says, Lord, he stinketh. Come on, friends. I need you to understand that. All right. (laughs) I need you to understand that without Christ, your life and my life, it stinketh. And all kidding aside, listen, all kidding aside. I think deep down you know it. I think you know it. Because I think that deep down inside there's a void that you've been trying to fill and you've been creative with it. But you've been trying to fill it with anything that you possibly can. Jesus goes, take the stone away. Take it away. It says this. Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took the stone, and Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but you said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called out, in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. I believe Jesus is calling some names in here today. I think he's saying, um, hey, Kathy, come out. You don't have to walk in that anymore. Hey, Bruce, come out. Your life does not have to be defined by this circumstance anymore. Katie, come out. Laura, come out. 
He's calling you by name. Because 2,000 years ago, he went to the cross and he suffered the worst death of any, of any, any imagination that could quite possibly contrive a death. It, the worst of them. But he did it for you. He thought of you by name so that you could have life. Come out. I'm so glad that he said, uh, Lazarus, come out. Because Jesus' words are so powerful that if he had not, if he had not uh, uniquely called out Lazarus, I believe that like, the, like all the dead people from those tombs would have started coming out, right? They would have been walking. It's like, come out. I'm like, oh, no. It's like the walking dead. <laughs> come out. Today's the day to come out, to step out of the grave, to take off the grave clothes. When Jesus said this, he said, Lazarus, come out. And immediately it says, Lazarus stood up and began walking out of the tomb. And he still got grave clothes on and he's still tattered. And he, I mean, I can't imagine Lazarus going like, what in the world just happened here? Here I was dead and now I'm alive. And I can relate. Can you? Can you relate? Because man, Jesus wants to bring you back to life. This is an awesome story because Jesus demonstrated some incredible power over death. But you know when Jesus, he demonstrated the ultimate power over death by dying on the cross for us, taking on our sin and our shame. And he was buried. And then three days later, he raised from the dead. And he himself came out of the tomb. The stone was rolled away. And friends, the invitation tonight is very simple. Very simple. Do you need to experience life? Because if you do, all it takes is believing and trusting in Jesus. Not trusting your good works, not trusting your acumen, not trusting what you can do, not trusting what you can produce, not trusting how you can strive, not trusting in somebody else, not depending on anything else, not putting your hope in money or in career or in relationship, uh, putting, putting your hope and your trust in Jesus alone. And when you do that, friends, when you trust in Jesus, even though you may not understand any of it, when you trust in Jesus, new life springs up inside of you. He promises to take the heart of stone and turn it to a heart of flesh. He promises to begin to change you from the inside out. He says, I give you a new identity. You don't have to be locked in and chained by the old things of your life, by your past, by your decisions that you've made, by the mistakes that have played out in your life. You don't have to be of your addiction anymore, to not be bound by the chains of your old past mistakes, to not be haunted by those anymore. Have you experienced new life? Because that's something that reason can't define for you. It can't be explained. It can only be experienced. <laughs> well, they're, they're like, uh, if he sleeps, he'll get better, Jesus. Jesus had been speaking of his death. This is verse 13. But the disciples thought he meant natural sleep. <laughs> so when he told him plainly, hey, guys, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, uh, so that you may experience. 
but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, which means twin, by the way. This was also doubting Thomas later that he got that, that coin, coined that term uh, or got that nickname. It says, he says to the rest of the disciples, this is funny, he goes, all right, well, let us go so we can die also. You know, like, fine, Jesus, we'll go with you. Um, have you, well, maybe your response is not rejection or maybe it's, maybe it's not reason, maybe it's relief. Maybe when it comes to this idea of sin, you feel it inside of you. You feel this propensity. You feel this brokenness. You feel this angst. You feel this emptiness, and maybe you're looking for relief. You see, Jesus comes on the scene. It says on his arrival in verse 17, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. How many days? Four days. Did you know that scientifically, coroners will say that the fourth day, if not preserved at all, that is when the body begins decomposing and becomes unrecognizable. So this, this man's dead, four days, complete, completely beyond repair. He's not coming back from this. You felt like that? Your situation, not coming back from it. It says he comes in, and uh, it says in verse 20, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I imagine they felt pretty abandoned in that moment. And when we feel abandoned, when we feel like God doesn't see us or care about us or even he's not concerned about our situation, we tend to look for relief, don't we? And, and maybe that's what you've been looking for to fill this void. Maybe you've been going to um, a relationship or the bottom of a bottle or your career. Can I tell you something? I'll be vulnerable with you. My personality, when I feel like I'm not experiencing the resurrection power of Jesus in my life, when I'm like kind of going toward my old nature, I, I tend to overwork. I tend to try to do things on my own. I try to accomplish and strive and make myself feel better, but can I tell you something? You can go to the nth of whatever relief you're looking for and you will always be empty because relief is only temporary relief. You need something different. You need resurrection. Maybe your response isn't relief. Maybe it's, um, maybe it's religion. You're like, oh yeah, I've heard all this, Davey. Sin, separate us from God. Jesus died on the cross, raised from the dead. Uh, and uh, I go to church. I'm, like a, I'm a really good person. So I'm good because I'm, I go to church. You know, I've been going to church for a long time. I'm a Christian. You can, you can check it. You can check it on my voting records. I'm a Christian, clearly. I vote like a Christian should. So I'm a Christian. And maybe religion becomes your thing. You can say the right things. You can, you've done the right things. You appear to have everything all together, but are you experiencing resurrection? Are you a new person? Are you changed from the inside out? Because Martha, when he comes across here, Martha has all the right answers. Martha goes, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. Verse 22, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus tests her belief right here. He tests her resurrection experience. He says, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again. In the resurrection at the last day, I know he will rise again. Jesus 
in the resurrection of the last day. I've read my Bible. I've gone to church. I believe the right things. I know he will. And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. I want to show you a real encounter. Can I tell you something, friends? Religion is just as dangerous and just as destructive as deciding to run away from God. Running from God and religion leads to the same place. Christianity is not a religion. Sometimes I'll be talking to people who aren't followers of Jesus, or you know, they find out I'm a pastor, like, oh, you know, I'm not religious. I go, good, because I'm not either. Because it's all about a relationship with Jesus. Do you have a relationship with the living God? That's the game changer, friends. I'm going to invite the band to come out. We're going to close this because that relationship, let me tell you what it leads to. It leads to number three, resurrection. Resurrection. It says in verse 11, it says, I'm sorry, verse 38 says, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. Look at this. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Does that sound familiar? A cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Where have we seen that before? Well, we've seen it before where they're going to see it. In front of Jesus' tomb. On Sunday morning, when uh, these women came to the grave and that stone had been rolled away, but at this point, they'd not experienced that. They didn't know that Jesus could resurrect. And they had a stone that reminded them, your situation cannot be reversed. It is done. Can I ask you a question? What stone is in front of your life right now? What is reminding you or accusing you or shouting at you that your situation cannot be reversed? I love what Jesus does. He comes up on the scene and he says a simple command, take away the stone. Oh, come on. Isn't it interesting that he didn't like snap his fingers and use his God power to like Jedi, you know, over the stone? Isn't that interesting that he asked them to do some work to take over the, to roll away the stone? Isn't that really, isn't that really crazy? Can I tell you something? There, when it comes to salvation, there is no work that you can do to recognize and to realize the saving power of Jesus. But there is some kind of cooperation that has to happen. And that is a realization, an opening of your heart to say, wow, I, I'm sinful. I've been going my own way. And I don't want to do this anymore. I need, I need Jesus to, to come in and change me. I need, to, I need him to raise me back to life. I need to be, come on, reborn. 
Jesus would tell somebody in John chapter 3, a man is named Nicodemus. He would say, unless you are reborn, you have not fully realized the resurrection power. You, you are essentially a walking dead person. Reborn. I don't know about you. I'm assuming that you know your birthday. Right? You've got to probably unless extenuating circumstances, adoption or whatever, but you probably have a certificate that tells you your birthday that says, this is the day that I was born. And this is how I know I am a human being because I, am, I was born on this day. Can I ask you a question? Have you been reborn? When was the day that you were reborn? that you finally came to the realization that you have sin and that because of that sin, you have fallen short of the glory of God. And because of that, it has separated you from God and that there is nothing that you can do to earn your way or merit your way or work your way back to God. And so because of that, you decided I'm going to trust the finished work of Jesus on the cross that has taken away my sin. Come on. His bloodshed on the cross has taken away every single sin, past, present, and future, and that's made available to you today. And then that forgiveness is not just available. He resurrected on the third day so that we could have freedom from sin, so that we wouldn't, be, we wouldn't be tied down by that sin any longer. When was the day that you recognized that? When was the day that you received that? You got a certificate? Do you know? There's not really a certificate, okay? Some of you are like, I don't know. Did I get a certificate? <laughs> Do you know? Do you know, when was the switch where you're like, I'm not going my own way anymore. I, I, I got to go the way of Jesus. Because in that moment, friends, if that has happened to you, he put his Holy Spirit inside of you. And you now, friends, have the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead living in you. So we don't see tragedy the way, the way someone who doesn't have his spirit see tragedy. We don't see people the way someone who doesn't have his spirit see people. We operate differently with a kingdom lens because we know that there is resurrection power at work. And Jesus comes on the scene. He says, take away the stone. Martha goes, uh, which might be, listen, you might be having some right now, some, some like arguments with me right now. It, and she does. She goes, uh, hey, by this time, Jesus, there's a bad odor for he's been there for four days. I love the King James version of this. That translation says, um, but, but Jesus, uh, he stinketh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all joking aside, listen, at our best, on our own, we stinketh. We need a new creation to rise up inside of us through the resurrection power of Jesus. And so Jesus stands there and says, they took the stone away. And Jesus said, verse 43, he called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And I believe this is what he's doing today too. He's saying, Katie, come out. Bruce, come out. Hey, Nancy, come out. Leslie, come out. You don't have to operate in that space anymore. You are not what has happened to you. 
You don't have to be defined by what you've done. You can be a new person. You can have a new life. You can be set free. Come on, you can be resurrected. Come out. I'm so glad he said Lazarus's name because the power of Jesus, when he just, if he were just to say, come out, I think literally all the dead people in that tombs would have come out. It would have been like the walking dead because in his word, there is power. And that same word wants to resurrect you today, friends. Come on out. Come on out. You don't have to live in that grave anymore. Come on out. He says, come out. And Lazarus came out. I imagine Lazarus was like, what just happened? (laughs) Oh my gosh. But you know what's crazy? Those of us who have experienced that, it's the same thing we felt too, right? (laughs) What just happened? And I bet there's a few people in here watching across the internet that that needs to happen tonight. So can we do this? Can we bow our heads and close our eyes? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to ask you, have you ever experienced the resurrection power of Jesus making you new? There's not a simple formula that makes this happen, but I'd like to walk you in a prayer that I believe is the reflection of your heart right now. You know if you need to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You know. So let me just kind of guide you. If you're there and you say, man, today I, I, need, to, I need to step out of darkness. I need to step out of the grave. And I need to come to life. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me and he raised from the dead. Would you just pray this after me? Say, dear Jesus, I need you. I know that I'm sinful. And I know because of that sin I've been separated from you. And I know that you made a way for me to come back into relationship with you. I believe you died on the cross for me and that you raised from the dead. And today, I want to be reborn. I want to be resurrected. I want to be made new. I want my heart to be power washed. I want to be clean. Would you give me a new identity? Would you give me a new direction? Would you teach me how to follow after you, Jesus? Today, I yield to you. And when I might want to stray and go back, would you, would you protect me? Would you call me back? Would you make your voice loud and clear? I open my heart up to the Holy Spirit. And I ask that you would help me, Holy Spirit, to walk in the way of Jesus. Bring this kingdom to earth. In your name I pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around, if you just prayed that prayer, to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Would you just, right where you are, don't hesitate, just put your hand up. Say, Davey, I just prayed that prayer to receive Christ. Amen, amen. Keep it up. Let me just see. Amen, 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 amen. Come on, amen, amen. You can put your hand down. Every head bowed and every eye closed in just a little bit. We're gonna respond with worship. And then if you prayed that prayer, I'm gonna, tell, I'm gonna come back up. I'm gonna tell you exactly what you can do. For the rest of us who, I'm assuming we have, we have experienced that, 
I'm just going to pray over us right now as we respond. Jesus, I ask that right now you would do something so powerful, that you would move in ways we have never seen you move, that you would take whatever circumstance we brought into this, and would you give us a new hope? Would that hope rise up inside of us that we have firmly believed in your resurrection power, where you want to empower us with your spirit? I pray that you would do that right now. Where you want to give us a new resilience because of the resurrection, would you do that right now, Jesus? We call on your name, King Jesus, and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.